Hello, hi everyone. We're your hosts, K and B. We are two Asian American high school students who discuss all things Asian, including philosophy, intersectionality, and food.、Uh, before we start this episode, we want to mention that we stand in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement. Our hearts go out to the families and friends of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Oluwa Toinsalao, Tony McDade, and others who have suffered at the hands of white supremacy. We have provided resources in our bio for you to donate and educate yourself and others. We say this not only because this is our stance, but because today we're going to be talking about this movement in the context of Black Asian relations. Right. Thanks for the intro, Kay. So right now there's a lot of chaos in the nation right now, but I think that also signals a lot of potential for reform. So this was all kickstarted by the murder of George Floyd, which was one instance. In countless manifestations of white supremacy,、um, which hurts Black communities in particular, and I think when I saw the video, it it was pretty clear to see that that sort of white black binary between、mm-hmm. the two. But、um, I remember I was watching an episode of Patriot Act, and it zoomed out of that one picture, and the police officer who was bystanding, just standing nearby, was Hmong American,、um, and I think the people who called. We're also Asian American as well, so I thought that like really does raise discussions about anti-blackness in the Asian American、uh, community. Yeah, right. What do you think? For sure, I think, um, yeah, a lot of people at first just thought it was um that one police officer Chauvin, but to see that four officers were involved and especially. With one of them being、um, an Asian police officer, it's very important that、uh, we also are aware that anti-blackness in our community is very apparent, and、um, it also calls for us to really re- reevaluate how、um, uh, we stand in tandem to the black community. And obviously, there are a lot of mixed reactions, but I think、uh, something positive is that I see a lot of、um, Asian Americans, especially in the younger generation, trying to talk about this.、Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. But for for the older Asian parents or like our parents' generation,、mm. I feel like a lot of them are very conservative, and they've kind of internalized. Um, a lot of the stereotypes about black people, like I've tried to have conver- have conversations with my parents, and they're trying to be open, and I can tell that. But I I don't think I will ever be able to change their perspectives on you know the black community. Right. It's also a question of how much we can do. I feel like because, I mean. I've been a lot on social media lately, and I see so many posts about how, as non-black people, it is our moral obligation to educate others. And I'm thinking, yes, on one hand, but at the other, on the other, it's like for people who are still not accustomed to American culture, like. For many immigrant parents, they've moved here after living a significant portion of their life in their own country,、um, or like ex-country, and then 
coming here, it's such a change. And I don't think race relations have really, have really like stuck with like a lot of these immigrant parents. Um, and so mm-hmm. as much as a lot of um, younger generations want to educate and also voice their opinions about this stuff, it's also, it also gets really hard, especially if you want to preserve your relationship as well. Yeah. On the first point you made, it's sort of like when they say it's not enough to be not a racist, you have to be actively anti-racist mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. But it's hard to be anti-racist when, I mean, on the one hand, there is frequently a language gap between Asian American kids and their immigrant parents. Mm-hmm. Um, for, like, for example, they don't understand, or it's harder for them to hear the the specific tones in a phrase that might make it a microaggression. Or, you know, like a lot of phrases today have a lot of racial history and it's hard for them to sort of get that. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's it's pretty hard to uh, communicate about that, too. Yeah, it's very difficult. But um, I guess for me, I think the fact that we're trying, we're actively trying is um, it's it's a good thing. Right. At least mm-hmm. we have tried to educate them. And obviously, this is going to be like a continuous act, um, at least on my part, um, as I try mm-hmm. to point out some of these things. Um, do yes, my parents. you go. <laughs> but for me, I think that, well, our family has a Netflix subscription. So um, <laughs> my parents have seen, um, I think, the Central Park Five which really, I think, changed their minds about how they view the, like, anti-blackness in America. And... Oh, was that the When They See Us show? Oh, yeah, yeah. It was, like, four episodes? Mm -hmm. Oh, I watched that. Perhaps. It was so sad. Yeah, so I think, um, obviously, I'm trying to find different ways for my parents to consume different forms of media so that they're able to like digest like race in uh biteable pieces um so Mm -hmm. it's like better and easier for them to understand and i think for like movies and such it's really um because it's like visually portrayed in a symbolic way um they're able to understand Mm -hmm. that easier yeah i like the part about the the biteable pieces my mom said that she felt kind of overwhelmed by all of this stuff, um, you know, the martyrdom of George Floyd and all of the protests. She she said she felt as if it came out of nowhere, which it obviously didn't. Mm-hmm. But I feel like overwhelming people with so, like, just flooding them with so much media of the other perspective at once kind of makes them retreat more. Um, yeah. And, yeah, it's pretty polarizing. Yeah. And yeah, I get that. Um, especially because like I think at times because we or as non-black people, sometimes we do get very comfortable in the state mm-hmm. of living because we're not as much as we do deal with racism, especially with the coronavirus, it's like heightened. But I think um, without 
the coronavirus, even before then, uh, we were so used to this comfort because, I mean, the statistics say it all, like Asian Americans or Asians, um, they have the highest paying salaries out of the minority groups in America. Right. Yeah. Um, And so in that comfort, it's very easy for some people to just turn a blind eye to these issues. Yeah, I thought during the during the virus and the Asian American racism at that time, it was something that like a lot of the videos online about so and so person assaulting an elderly Asian man or assaulting this Asian person and telling them to go back to their country or to stop bringing the virus over. A couple of them, like a couple of those caught on video, were Black Americans, and I think, like. Like, during the coronavirus, it was an opportunity where maybe racial minorities could have banded together. But for a lot of Asians, at least, they felt very angered and even more, and they were turned even more, like, against the black community. Yeah. So it just feels like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like, even though we can always try, even though there are always opportunities to mm, find solidarity, it very rarely does happen. Yeah, I know that's such such an important point. I think in America, like especially within Black and Asian relations, it's very easy to see, or not easy, but it's illusory, I guess, in that a lot of people see this as like a dyad relation, just like Black mm. people and Asian people. When I think, in fact, it's a triad relationship between our interactions with whiteness because I do think that we like the pitting against minority groups it's all in relation to how close to whiteness we are Mm -hmm. it's all relative right and I think that's what really drives a lot of this prejudice we have against each other yeah so when you say a triad Mm. as in like a triangle between black white and asian yes and like the things like the model minority myth um other stereotypes that make asian it make asian seem as though they're the quote-unquote better minority sort of drive a wedge between these different um communities of color yeah so yeah, exactly. And like the active pitting against different um, races is, I believe there's a term for this um, that was derived Triangulation. from Vanderbilt, the uh, Vanderbilt professor. Um, but I'll, I'll read the definition out loud now. So it's called horizontal prejudice, the result of mm. people of targeted racial groups believing acting on or enforcing the dominant white system of racial discrimination and oppression. Horizontal racism can occur between members of the same racial group or between members of different targeted racial groups. Mm. That's deep. (laughs) You know, Vanderbilt professors, like, whoa. (laughs) High school about to enter college. But I remember when I was younger, I would listen to my, my parents talk about it, them and the other um, Asian moms and trying to get their students into so-and-so HYP 
uh, universities. And I remember just being so angry that like, oh no, I'm working so hard and mm. only for this to happen in like the college admissions process. But as I've kind of matured and gotten to see the other perspective, like it honestly doesn't matter if I don't get into HYP or an IV. Um, and it, it's just like, Affirmative action is part and parcel of a mm-hmm. way bigger problem. Yeah. yeah, I think that, yeah, that definitely raises a good point. Um, I don't think uh, we'll go like really in depth about affirmative action in this episode, um, mm-hmm. but it does really, uh, well, it does illustrate um, one of the big aspects of how Asian and black relations operate in America because like from the Asian perspective, we're always like, oh, it's so hard to get into these colleges despite being a minority um, while like black people are able to like, I guess, or if, if one is black, then they're able to get into XYZ colleges much easier like there's this uh misinter or mis yeah mm-hmm. misunderstanding of like yeah. the college process when in fact when we also see the amount of white people getting to these colleges and the amount or just not even like white people in general but like like white people with problematic histories um yeah or like legacy students Mm -hmm. who get in it's we always deter away from that conversation when I feel like that's the conversation we should be having yeah um with that in mind going back to this what's happening like in the now with George Floyd and all these protests Mm -hmm. um I do think that a lot of Asian Americans as I've said before like Um, of the younger generation really want to change something and um, they're actively trying to educate others and educate themselves with a lot of the resources that the black community have provided for Mm -hmm. us and so I definitely see that as a very positive um, like flicker of light and flicker of hope Um, Mm -hmm. during these times to me what a lot of politics seems like now has just been more and more polarization so the us liberal people yeah we're we're liberal maybe at one point we were more centrist um or like not so outspoken about racial issues but then with the protests that happened we we voiced our support and we've become probably a little more left-leaning right but for people who were like a bit conservative to begin with seeing um like it it depends on what media they're getting and if they're seeing like specifically tailored conservative media then they're probably going to become a little more like right-leaning or anti-protests does that make sense Mm. yeah But I also think that politics in America has become so, like, as you said, polarized. But I also think that I 
think that just because one is conservative, it does not mean that they automatically tend to think um, like anti-protest. No, that's true. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Anti, yeah. But we do have this perception, right? Because it is mostly part in due to the media we consume. Um, the only like big conservative like news platform that is a uh, very much conser like yeah conservative is Fox yeah. News. <laughs> Basically, yeah. Um, and for like liberal, uh, like NBC, mm -hmm. and through those lenses that really monopolize our view on politics, I think it's so easy to misconstrue what the other party thinks. Yeah, yeah. I think in addition to, like, it's not just about the media outlets being so political, but also that we just have no idea what's happening. It, it gets into That's the idea so that, true. like, <laughs> what is truth? We think that there's one story to history. Like, oh, um, MLK was this peace-loving, non-violent uh, man who professed his dream for an equal society. Yes, you know, stuff like that. There's, like, one mainstream view. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually in the moment, you don't know what's happening. You don't know if the protesters are actually looting and rioting or if they're peaceful protesting, if the police is actually, like, cracking down on them with tear gas or, like, whose fault is it, who started it, all of these sort of things. And each instance is very particular to the time, the specific community, the people within it. And it's happening so many times nationwide to the point where you can't get some sort of unified story out of it. So who knows who's in the right or like what's happening. Yeah, that is such a good point. Thanks. I think, yeah, and I think that also there's just with media it's so especially in the digital age it's so easy to spread fake news mm. and i think like for me i am so gullible to fake news <laughs> not because it's like well not because it's inherently fake news but because it sounds so real you know mm -hmm. and uh for me i i do believe that it is a moral obligation that I personally try to educate with the platform I have I'm just do as much as I can mm -hmm. but in that process I have definitely uploaded stuff on my Instagram story that were false you know and I, mm -hmm. I, I definitely believed some of the stuff that I posted was actually true and it's it's also very like at what point if you keep posting fake news is it actually more, like ethical to yeah. like not deeply fact check the stuff that you consume do you think it's the responsibility of the people who are reposting it on their stories to fact check it or um like the person who created it to to fact check it Okay, I feel like the answer to that seems kind of self-obvious, but, like, it, it's complicated by, like, oh, social media and intent versus, um, like, what actually happens. What's your take? Mm, yeah, that is such a good question. <laughs> um, 
I think this, I, I think it's, uh, it's not like, um, like a straightforward answer because um, it also depends on like the context of how like a certain um, like like X News how X News was born like mm-hmm. let's say of actually yeah um, I posted this um, the story of Muhammad Sis um, from Twitter, it was like on Twitter, someone tweeted that he was killed by the police when in fact he wasn't. Oh. And I think it's also important that you clarify that because his death, we don't want to just mark his death as like police brutality. There are also different nuances of different parts of racism um, that we want to right. enlighten. And so I just posted that without thinking, right? And it, mm-hmm. it's disrespectful. I, now that I see if I just do that without knowing what happened behind someone's death and I definitely felt that it was my responsibility to have fact-checked it and I was just I guess too lazy to have done it. Okay I think that's very mature of you for owning up to that that instant. Thanks (laughs) Fee. Yeah but it's like if you to what extent is like something the more you keep posting about it on Instagram, the more it becomes disseminated and the more people accept it. Does it just automatically become, you know, like truth? Truth is mm-hmm. what people want. Yeah, that's such a deep and profound <laughs> topic. Um, it is. Like, what is truth? Like, what does it mean to like live in a world where we don't even have yeah. a singular truth? Um, but I think we can save that mm. for another conversation as we're um, already at <laughs> at the 25-minute mark. Thank you for tuning in with us today, and we'll see you in the next episode. Bye!